You're listening to a message from Christ's Covenant Church, where we are growing together in Christ as a caring community of disciple-makers. Thank you for listening, and please feel free to share this with others who may find it helpful. Uh, we're going to be in John chapter 1 this morning. We've been going through the book of John for a few weeks now, and we won't go as slow through the rest of the book as we are through here. There will be some weeks we take almost even entire chapters, depending on how the stories break down. But as we're starting out in the Gospel of John and this record of Jesus' life and ministry, we wanted to at least go slow Er at the beginning uh, and help us get caught up to speed and what's going on and who the characters are and whatnot. And so today we're going to be in John chapter 1 and we'll start in a minute at verse 35. Uh, but I wanted to share a story that I think will set this up for us. And uh, part of what made me think about it is that several of us pastors are going to go to a pastor's conference this week uh, through our group of churches uh, that I look forward to every year. It's always a blessing and uh, a tremendous encouragement to us. And so thank you for enabling us to be able to go to that. Uh, I do not take that lightly. Um, but there's a story. This story was told at one of those a few years ago uh, by another pastor. His name is Jared Mellinger. And I'm not betraying confidences because he recorded this in a new book that he just put out too. So it's like public information, even though it's embarrassing to him. Uh, but he, he told this story. So he was telling a story about how when he was a young adult, he got an opportunity to be an intern at the church where he actually is still a pastor, uh, which is surprising maybe in life of what happens here uh, in this story, but uh, he was an intern and given this opportunity uh, to have a big responsibility. Their lead pastor at the time had been speaking at uh, something in Europe and had a flight back into the Philadelphia area, that's where their church was, and his job was to go pick this guy up, pick their pastor up from the airport, and I don't think he's necessarily like a detail-oriented person, so he got some loose details about uh, the flight for their pastor and, and when he'd be arriving, things like that. And I think he just paid attention to very basic details, like the cities that were involved on either end of the flight, and he knew that the two cities were Newark and Hamburg. Those were the two cities, and he was not paying enough attention to realize which one the guy was taking off from and landing at. And so in his mind, he thought instantly he was very proud of himself. I know where Hamburg is. It's like this town just a little bit, maybe like an hour away, I think it was, uh, from where their church was based. And he thought, man, that's kind of a weird place to fly in, but he didn't recognize Newark for some reason. I don't know why. Uh, but I just assumed that was the city in Europe that the guy was coming from. And so he sets in his mind, i got to go pick this guy up at this time from an airport in Hamburg, Pennsylvania. And so he starts to do a little bit of research because he can't quite recall. He knows it's a little town and didn't necessarily think there was an airport there. But he does a little bit of research online and realizes, lo and behold, there is an airport there. Uh, and so he is excited and he uh, knows where the town is. And he goes there the day and he's trying to get there early on time to pick this guy up and, and not uh, disappoint. And he has, this should have been a warning sign to him, he has to stop at a gas station to find the airport because he can't figure out where it is. And he stops at the gas station like, hey, can you point me to such and such airfield? And they told him like he was the first person in years that had asked about this place and that they didn't think that flights came in there anymore. Uh, but he presses on and continues to this airfield and it's near a, a high school, I think. And it's like this grass field, like a landing strip. Uh, that, and it's still not clicking in his mind that this is an international flight and probably has a massive plane uh, coming and it's still not connecting. This is probably not the right place. And what finally 
immediately clicked in his mind is he sees a guy just sitting on this mow, riding lawnmower mowing the grass of this field, and he's thinking to himself, that guy better, like, get out of the way, because when this plank comes, like, it's going to just plow over him. And that thought was finally the straw that broke the camel's back, and he realized, oh, no, like, Hamburg is a city in Germany that has an airport, and he's probably flying in to somewhere hours away from where I am now, and nobody's going to be there to pick him up. And so he's embarrassed, and rightfully so, uh, and calls them and uh, tells them he, he can't <laughs> where he is. And uh, they quickly relieve him of that responsibility and say, <laughs> we'll take care of it. Uh, you just come on back to the church. And uh, that story is hilarious. And part of why I thought about it today is because we're going to be talking about seeking Christ, seeking Jesus, trying to find him uh, with some of these initial disciples. And I, I was thinking of that story Jared told because just seeking the way you think the person should be sought isn't always going to connect you up with them. Like you have to seek to find the person in the right way and at the right place. Like you don't just lean on your own intuitions and knowledge. You have to seek them in the right way or you're never going to connect up with them. And I think we're going to see that in the story that as we, this is going to be the part of the story of Jesus where people start accumulating around him as disciples, where they start coming to him. And for these men, these young men in particular, we're going to see that they are seeking him out. They are going to him initially. Um, and we're going to see that they seek him, I think, in the right way. There's some things that we see in their way that they sought him out that we can learn from, uh, and that, that we can uh, gain, I think, insight for our lives as people who live in very different cultures thousands of years later about how to seek Christ rightly and how to help those who are seeking. That's going to be after we read the text. Those are going to be the two things I want to try to emphasize today. Is For those of you who are seeking Christ, to seek him rightly. And we'll go through a few ways that we see them seeking. But those of us who've already found Christ, which I hope is many of us, um, that we would learn of ways that we can help people who are seeking, uh, who are in this process of finding Christ and coming to him. And so I'm going to read this passage. It's just a handful of verses. It's John chapter 1 verses 35 to 42, uh, and we're going to read that, back up a little bit, make sure we understand what's happened, and then and share about those two points, about seeking Christ and helping those who are seeking him. And so follow along with me, John 1, 35 and following. This first John that's going to be mentioned is John the Baptist. We've seen him a few weeks now. It says, the next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. Now, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, So, you are Simon, the son of John? You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So I want to make sure that we understood, understand what's happening here and some of the, the nuances and details and then uh, drive into those two points. Um, but just so we understand what's happening here, this, like I said, this is the, when the first disciples are starting to come to Jesus himself. 
Uh, we saw Jesus sort of slowly enter into the scene. Last week we saw he had almost like mysteriously come toward John the Baptist, but we still didn't hear him say anything. Uh, but John the Baptist is featured more prominently at first. He's had disciples coming around him. We even see in the start of our text today that he had disciples of his own who had come out to hear him, uh, come on that other side of the Jordan River and heard about what he was teaching, even being baptized by him. And it seems that he would have very public conversations with people, but sometimes he would just be talking to a few of them as he is here. Uh, that there's, there's these two young men. We know one of them for sure was named Andrew. Uh, we see that explicit here down in verse 40. The other one you may notice isn't named. My guess would be, this is just a guess, but is that this is actually the disciple John, the one who's writing this, because often you'll see he won't name himself. He'll just kind of let himself be in the background and be an unnamed person. Uh, and so I believe that this was Andrew and John. They have come out, and they're disciples of John the Baptist. And Jesus again walks by. I don't know what he was doing or if he was like going somewhere or just kind of like hoping people would notice him or, or what. We don't know that. But he's, he's walking by. And John the Baptist, just like we saw last week, again he says, Behold the Lamb of God. And this time he's saying it to just these two young men. And what they do, it says that they heard him say that and they followed Jesus. That probably pretty literally means they just went and were like walking behind him. I don't know if they're like hiding behind bushes or other people or whatever, maybe trying to seem anonymous. I don't know. But they are following him quite literally. And it says that Jesus turns. I would love to see sort of what his face was like based on how they were following him. He turns and sees them uh, following him. And maybe they're like found out. I don't know. But his question, he says, what are you seeking? And it could be a very simple question, like, what do you guys want? Like, what are you wanting from me? Like, why are you falling behind me? Or it could be, I think we'll see, it's also intended to, to cut to their hearts. Like, what are you guys really after? Like, he wants to just cut to the chase right at the beginning with them. Like, why are you guys wanting to come follow me? Like, what are you after? What are you seeking? And they sort of answer his question with a question of their own. They say, they call him rabbi. That means teacher. And they say, Rabbi, where are you staying? And so they're kind of wondering where he's going, and it sort of implies that they want to come stay with him for a little bit because they're calling him teacher. They're asking where he's staying. And then catch this. This is God the Son, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, speaking to two no-name guys who are probably very young men, not prominent, and they're wanting to come spend time with the God of the universe, the one that all things were created through. And he says, yeah, come and see. Like, come spend time with me. Come stay where I'm staying. And they do. They go spend time with him. It says that they stay with him that day because it was about the 10th hour. Uh, we don't know exactly what that means. It would depend on how they would measure hours or what calendar or clock system you think they use. But it's probably late in the day, and they end up staying with him the rest of that day. Uh, we don't know what they talked about. It's not recorded for us. Uh, I would love to know what that was, and maybe you would too. But we do know the effect that it had, at least on Andrew. What you see happen to him is that uh, he, after he leaves this time with Jesus, he goes straight to his brother, Simon, who will be called Peter here, and says, we found him. Like, we found the Messiah. We found the Christ. And they take Simon, and they bring him to Jesus as well. And Jesus, it says, looks at him, and he says this profound thing. He says, so you are Simon, son of John? 
And then he says, essentially, you're going to be given a new name. Like, you're going to be changed in some very significant ways. You will be called Cephas, which means Peter. And so this is the first time he comes up. He'll become very prominent in the story of Jesus, but we'll leave that for another week, um, other months, honestly, because he, he appears more later. Um, but So what you see here is these initial disciples coming to Jesus. And you see this prominent teacher pointing his disciples to go to this new teacher, to go to Jesus. And so they have these questions, I'm sure, but they go and they follow Jesus and they are deeply impacted by him. And so I want us from this text to see those two things. Is that First, I want to talk to those of you who I would categorize as seekers. And I'll explain what I mean by that because some of our antennas might go up like, what are you talking about, seekers? Uh, but then I want to talk to those of us who have found Christ about how we ought to be helping those who are seeking him, those who are in this process of asking questions and seeking him out, ways that we can be of help to them because we ought to be. And so first I want to speak to those of you who may be like Andrew and who we think is John and even Peter, what they were like in this stage where they were seeking out Christ, because I think we can see how to rightly seek Christ by how they did. The, the, some of the things that they did, uh, I think, are things that you ought to be doing as well. Let me have you hit pause on listening for just a second and talk to some of us who may, when they hear me uh, say the word seekers and people who are seeking God, some of you may think, uh, Pastor Mark, like there is no such thing as somebody who is seeking God. And I totally understand where you are coming from because we, at our church we have a very high view of God's role in salvation. He's the one start to finish who is bringing it about and we would very much affirm that and I very much affirm that. And there are texts. There, you read Romans chapter 3, verse 11. Paul quotes the Old Testament and says, No one seeks for God. Paul said that. No one seeks for God. And so there is a truth in a sense that none of us just on our own like have this innate love of God in us. And like we, man, I just want to please him so badly. And I just, he's so mysterious, but I want to find my way to him. And none of us just have these longings come up within us that, that surface naturally. So in a sense that is very true that none of us seek God on our own. But I think it is undeniable, as you read through other parts of Scripture, that people do have God start to do this initial work in them where he starts convicting them of sin, where he starts placing questions in their minds and even longings that they don't have fulfilled yet. I think you see that in Andrew here. I think you see that in Peter. I think you see it in John. And there are commands in the Bible to seek God. You read Isaiah 55, verse 6. It says, seek the Lord while he may be found. And Jesus himself says things like, uh, seek and you shall find. And seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We are commanded as human beings to seek out God. And we don't have capacity just on our own to even do that. But often the Lord will start to work in our hearts to where we, we have these longings and these desires to know him in a deeper way. And you see that embodied. And if that is you. That is you today. Maybe it's been a recent thing. Maybe it's been an ongoing thing that the Lord has started to, to do that sort of like initial work of breaking ground in your heart and putting questions in your heart and longings and, and maybe you feel perplexed. I wanted to share a few simple thoughts from this story that I know is just scratching the surface, but I wanted to also let you know I would love to talk to you because I know you may have all sorts of questions and things that are confusing to you. Uh, we as a church would love to talk to you and help you, but I want to show you a few things of how these men sought Christ rightly that I think would be helpful to you because even if you can't stir up this 
longing in your heart, there are means that God has given you to come to him. Places you can put yourself, things you can do to learn more about him and to help you understand things. I want to show you a few of those. One, first, is I want you to make sure that you are seeking the right thing. Make sure that you are seeking the right thing. That Jesus, the first question he asks is, what are you seeking? And I would ask that of you, like, what is it that you are seeking? Uh, There are many, many things that we are seeking in life. There are many things, even as we come to religion, or we come to church, or we come to the Bible, or we want to be around Christians, there's many things sometimes that people are seeking. Sometimes uh, we are seeking just a religion. Like, hey, I know there's a bunch out there. I just want to find one that makes the most sense to me and land in that. Sometimes we are seeking... Uh, We are seeking a philosophy of life that makes sense. We are seeking, sometimes we're seeking relational things, right? We're seeking friendship. We know, hey, God's people are probably good people. I want friends. I want acceptance. So I'm going to seek him out in order to get that. Or I want purpose in my life. I want significance. I want these things. Or sometimes we want the blessings of God. We want the gifts that he gives. We want him to take care of us. We want him to fix problems in our lives. There's all sorts of things that we are seeking. But when Jesus asks that question, what are you seeking? I think he would want the answer and implied the answer is that we ought to be seeking him. Like that is what you need in life. You don't just need a religion that that you can check off. I agree with all these things. You need a savior whether you realize it or not, because God made us to be one with him. God made us to be right with him, and that has been broken by sin of us and of humans in general. That has been broken, and what we need more than anything is to be made right with our creator, to be right with him again, to be in relationship with him. That ought to be what you are seeking uh, more than anything else, is to seek restoration to him, how you can be right with him. So make sure you are seeking that, not just asking intellectual questions, but you ought to be seeking Christ. And I would say this too, I meant to say this before, make sure that you are actually, if you're a seeker, make sure you are actually seeking in order to find. Like, like in our culture, people like love seeking and like asking questions and like, I'm just, I'm not going to really land on the thing. Like, I just sort of, I want to learn about this and I want to learn about this. And like, this is kind of intriguing and I'll go ask these people some questions. And we just, we say some nonsense stuff like it's about the journey, not the destination. Or it's about asking questions, not finding answers, things like that. And if you're talking about, like, going on a trail walk or something, that's fine. Like, go on your journey and take twists and turns and stay out all day or whatever. But if you are talking about trying to think about eternity, trying to think about your soul, trying to think about the creator of the universe and what this universe is even about and the meaning of your life, you better be seeking to actually find. Like, actually, like, I see it in young people a lot, but I see it in older people, too, where we just, oh, I'll just, you know, I don't know what I believe. I just am kind of seeking. And that will just happen for decades. And at that point, I don't really think you are seeking to find. And so ask hard questions. Drive into these things that are perplexing to you, but seek in order to find and seek in order to find Christ. He is what you ought to be seeking. But a few things I think you see in the example of these young men is one thing I would recommend to you as you are seeking Christ is to find a teacher who will teach you about Jesus. As simple as that that sounds. Find a teacher who will teach you about Christ. I want you to think about what Andrew, and if this is John, what they had done. They had left 
their family. They had left their town where they were from, and they had come. We don't know for how long, but long enough where they were disciples of John the Baptist. They had come to him to learn. They had heard about his reputation, it seems, and the things that he was doing and teaching and pointing people to this Messiah that was to come. And they left their home to go learn from him. They, they wanted to know what he had to say because they knew he was teaching about the Messiah. And they might not have known everything about this Messiah, this rescuer who is to come, but they knew a teacher who knew a lot more than them. And they said, I want to learn from you. Like, I'm going to leave my stuff. I'm going to spend time with you. I'm going to listen to you. Tell me what you know about this Messiah. I want to learn from you. And I would encourage you, if you are seeking out Christ, find someone, whether it's someone in your dorm or on campus or a parent or someone within community here at our church. Find someone who can teach you about Christ. Because we've bought into this mindset in our culture largely because of Google, I think, uh, honestly. And I'm kind of this way too, where we think if I just search on my own, I can pretty much find out whatever I need to know. Like I can find out information about a disease I think I have. Or I can find out what time this coffee shop opens. Or I can find out who's done what in history. Or I can find out anything that I want to just by searching myself. But that is not how finding the Lord works. Like he, The way that we find him typically is by someone else teaching us about him. It's the, the answers are not within ourselves. And if I just think enough and I process enough and I feel enough, you will not find Christ by doing that. The way you will find Christ is by talking to those who have already found him and, and listening to them and asking them questions and letting them point you to him. So find a teacher who will teach you about Christ. But also I would say this is that you need eventually to go a step further where you are spending time with Christ himself. You see that in this story. These men, there were bunches of people that were disciples of John the Baptist, right? And he had been telling people, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world as Jesus would walk by. And for some reason, it seems like nobody is going to actually follow Jesus yet. Like nobody is actually going to spend time with him and learn from him and ask him questions. They're just content to stay around John the Baptist and hear what he has to say. There's these crowds and whatnot. But Jesus is just this maybe mysterious man to them who has no one following him yet. But Andrew knew something and John knew something. That they didn't just need John the Baptist. They needed the Savior he was teaching them about. And so when he comes onto the scene, they go and ask to spend time with him. Uh, they go and say, hey, where are you staying? Like, we want to come hear you. We want to listen to you and, and learn from you. And Jesus receives them. And so that was an easy step in some sense for them. The guy is literally walking by them. And they're, they're literally moving their feet to follow him and asking him, hey, can I spend time with you? And he says, yes. And so that was an easy act for them. But when I tell you, spend time with Christ himself, you may be wondering, what in the world does that look like? Like, I can't do that. Like, uh, he is not even on this earth right now. Like, how can I actually spend time with him? But I want, and you may already know this. I don't know where you're at, but Christ is alive. Like, he, he can hear you loud and clear right now when you speak to him. Just as easily as he heard the voice of Andrew and John saying, hey, can we stay with you? If you pray to him, he is alive and well right now. He was crucified outside Jerusalem a few years after this, but he was raised from the dead never to die again. And he is in heaven with God the Father right now, and you can spend time with him. 
You can speak to him. You can pray to him and he will hear you. You can read his word. You can read the Bible. This is the, way, this is the book, if you want to call it a book, even if it's on phones or whatnot. This is his word to us, the Bible. And as we read it, we're reading his very words to us as human beings, his very words to us as his people. So if you want to spend time with Christ, not just with a teacher about Christ, read the Bible, like get into it. Start in a place like I'd recommend like the Gospel of Mark, for example, or if you want to go through this very book of the Bible, John, and just read about the life of Jesus, he, will, he speaks through his word. And that is a way that you can spend time with him himself and learn from him. And I'd encourage you to gather with Jesus' people as well, week by week, uh, to come together because he communicates with us as we gather together, Sunday by Sunday by Sunday. And so you can spend time with him. And if you do, if you do these things typically, or maybe almost always, it will have a profound effect upon you. Like if you actually uh, seek him out, if you find a teacher to teach you about him, if you spend time with him yourself, typically the effect that it will have on you and that he will have on you is the same effect he had on Andrew. That as they listened to him, as they spent time with him, and as they processed what John the Baptist had taught them, they had faith come into their hearts. They, they started to believe this is him. Like this is the one we've been waiting for for thousands of years, hundreds of years that I've been waiting for my whole life. This is him. And they had this faith well up in them. Jesus himself said, seek and you will find. I mentioned that earlier. That, that if you seek him out, if you humbly come to his word and to his people and say, teach me about Christ. I want to know him. I want to be right with my creator. He will typically give faith to you. He will change your heart. And it may be a slow, steady process, but he will give you faith to see him for who he is, the savior of the world who died for your sins and was raised from the dead. And so those are things that you can do. But I want, before I give advice to us who can help those who are seeking, I want to remind you if you are a seeker of something, and this is this, that no matter how hard you seek Christ, no matter how many weeks or months or hours or years or whatever you put into this and pour yourself into asking questions and being taught and really wanting to wrestle through, is he really the son of God and can I trust him, all these things. No matter how hard you seek after him, at the risk of stating the obvious, you still have to be received by him. Like these men had, had gone to great lengths to come here, John, and then they were the ones who took the initiative to come over to Jesus. But Jesus didn't have to receive them. Like he could have just said, you know what, I am the son of God. Like, and you two guys, like, you're just, I don't even know who you are. You guys just stay away from me. Like you are sinners. I'm the son of God. Like stay away from me. He could have had that mentality. But God the son, when people come to him in faith and in repentance and brokenness saying, man, I believe you are the son of God. I believe you're the savior that God has sent to the world. He receives them. And that ought to make us marvel and wonder because we don't come to him as like, I've been seeking you for like 20 years, Jesus. Like, haven't I done a good job? Like, he, it does not impress him how hard you seek him because you still come to him as a sinner, as we all do, uh, with guilt and with sin on your record. But he, thank God, he came into our world to seek us out. Like he said about himself that he came into the world to seek and to save the lost. And that includes you. 
that includes me. And if you are to be received by him, it is all his mercy. It's not because you've earned up enough time of research and thinking and praying and learning. It is because he says, I love you and I forgive you and I want you in my family. Like, I want you to be one of my people. And so I, I want you to know that Jesus Christ invites you not just to come stay at his house for a few hours and have a conversation with like he invites you into the throne room of God. He invites you into heaven and to someday into a new earth that he is going to set up forever. Like he invites you and welcomes you into that if you will come to him in simple repentance and faith. No matter how long or short or deep or simple your process of seeking has been, if you come to him in faith and repentance, he will receive you. And I want that to be an encouragement to you today if you are a seeker, that he will receive you if you come to him in repentance and faith even today. I want to end by sharing a few thoughts to those of us who have found Christ already. We've gone through that maybe a season or maybe it was an instant moment where we found Christ. We, we sought him out and we found him or maybe he just captured our hearts when we weren't even looking for him. But we have found Christ. I want us to keep in mind that we are to help those who are seeking. We are to help those who are seeking Christ. When Once we have found Christ, we don't just keep him to ourselves, like the old finder's keepers thing like that we learn as kids. It's so selfish. Like We get that way sometimes when it comes to spiritual things, that somebody brought Christ to us. Somebody told us about Christ and helped us with our questions and wrestling through our, our perplexing emotions and thoughts that we had and brought us to Christ. But then we think that it, the story ends there. Like that I don't have a responsibility to come and talk to people who are seeking him behind me, who are, who are wrestling with these same things or maybe different questions, but we ought to have a heart to help them. And you see that in some of the characters in this story, that when there's these seekers, they want to help them. They want to help them come to Jesus, not to push them away and say, you're not ready, you're not good enough, but they want to answer questions. They want to point them to Jesus. I think we can learn from the example, or first let me say this, all three of the guys that come to Jesus here came because other people brought them or told them to go, right? It's not just like this, this thing that they just have in and of themselves. All of them had a teacher or a relative say, that's Jesus, that's the Son of God. You may have questions, but go talk to him. Every one of them came that way. And so we have an opportunity to be like that in the life of seekers that we know. So you can learn from John the Baptist here, I think, and I can learn from John the Baptist here. Uh, we can learn when we are interacting with seekers to be patient with them. John the Baptist had been preaching for who knows how long and baptizing who knows how many people, and nobody was following Jesus yet. Like, nobody really believed him. They maybe thought this guy was nuts, like crazy. Nobody is actually believing what he's saying, but he patiently, faithfully kept saying, guys, there's a Messiah coming. And then when he finally met him, he said, that's him. Go follow him. Go follow him. And he was patient in doing so. And there's so many times I grew up in a culture where when I would think of evangelism, if you want to call it that, of telling somebody about Jesus, I would think of it as just like a one-minute conversation, like, hey, I've got a piece of paper, a tract or something, and I've got like a Bible verse or two, and I'm going to tell you, God made you, you're a sinner, Jesus died for you, was raised from the dead, will you repent of your sins and trust in him, and he'll forgive you of your sins and invite you into heaven forever. And I would think it's a conversation, take it or leave it, you don't want that? Okay, 
I'll, I'll go on to the next person. And that's how I would often think of investing in somebody. But you see with John the Baptist, and you even will see through the life of Jesus that we see in the next weeks and months, these men are patiently teaching. They're patiently answering questions. They're patiently putting up with steps backwards and weird questions and things that people have and confusing practices that these people they're trying to invest in uh, do and things that they say, but they are patiently over and over and over loving on these people. They are helping answer questions. They're pointing them to their creator and saying, he sent us a savior. Go run after him. And they, they are patient. We ought to be patient with those in our lives who are seeking after the Lord. We can be, learning from John, John the Baptist as well, we can be that teacher for them. Like just as John was for these men and many others, we can be the teacher that points those people to Christ. We can, one simple way to do that is to just read the Bible with the person. Like if they have some longings and questions, ask them if they'll read the Gospel of John with you. Ask them if they'll read the Gospel of Mark with you. Ask them uh, to read some simple part of the Bible and just sit down with them and say, hey, what questions did you have? Or like, what did that make you think about? Or what did you learn about God? Uh, Matt Harmon in our church has written a wonderful book called Asking the Right Questions. I just thought of uh, that is really helpful in asking questions. You could just read the Bible with them. That, the Bible is Jesus' word to us. And if they're going to come to know him as their Savior, it's going to be by learning about him through his word, by learning who he is and what he's done for them so patiently read the bible with them and don't feel like you have to be an expert like sometimes i think when we think about like seekers we think they're just loaded with all these like complex questions that i will not be able to answer and i have no clue and it it paralyzes us but even john the baptist earlier in the story admits like he didn't used to know christ like he's he's very open to say like i used to not even know him like i don't have all the answers but he does and like i'm gonna point you to people who can answer questions and if seekers ask you questions you don't know acknowledge that and say I have not thought about that. Like, I want to learn about that too. That is a good question. And seek to learn with them. Learn alongside them. I think you can learn from the example of Andrew here, of Simon Peter's brother. I I like for the kids in the audience that he gets called, even in the Bible, he gets called Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. That's probably an annoying way to be uh, recognized by your attachment to your sibling. Um, But Andrew's heart is for his family. Like those, it seems like Peter had some desire within him seeking the Messiah, and Andrew's heart instantly beats like, I want my brother to know him. And like, I would encourage each of us, especially as holidays are coming up, I want to remind myself of this in the next few months, like seek out the seekers in your family. Like the people who are asking questions, the people who have longings in their heart, or maybe they're having ways that they're just falling flat and things they're feeling perplexed by seek them out talk to them ask them questions and may we have a heart to see our loved ones come to the savior may we have a heart to to help them as they seek christ i think most importantly from this story and any story we learn from the example of jesus as he helped those who are seeking and he did something that we cannot do Uh, when it comes to helping seekers. We can point them to him, but he actually provided the healing and the forgiveness that they truly need, that you cannot do, that I cannot do. He, like I said earlier, he came to seek and to save the lost. Sinners 
like us. When Jesus came into the world, he wasn't like that guy Jared that I mentioned at the beginning who was just kind of clueless about how to, to go where he was going and just sort of find his way. When Jesus entered into our world, he knew exactly what he was sent to do. Like he knew exactly what was needed, and it was something awful for him. What was needed, if we were to be restored, if we were to really find God and be restored to him, was that there would be a penalty that would have to be paid for the sins of people like us. And he made a beeline to the cross. You see, as these years are going to go by that we read about, he made a beeline to the cross, knowing that that would be the place where he would do it, where he would take the sins of us upon himself and he would be crushed and put to death for our sins be raised to life alive again and able to offer that forgiveness to us, able to offer that eternal life now that he has to us. And so we can help those who are seeking Christ, but Christ can save them. He has done the work to save them. And may we be people who are helping them find him, who are answering questions, who are reading the Bible with them, who are patiently spending time with them, uh, even as they have things that may perplex us or confuse us. May we lovingly help seekers find the Savior.